what's what's a stupid what what's pissing you off to start off the episode? Oh man, everything. Nothing's pissing me off. Hold on, I'm sure I can come uh, up with something. How much we care about so many things. Oh, wait, that doesn't make sense. I haven't thought about this. It's, I'm not. I've not. It's not going to be very eloquent, but no, it um, doesn't need to be. Essentially, as as species, we seem to care about so many things that aren't worth caring about, yeah. and we bury our head, heads in the sand for things that sh- really do matter. Okay, I got two comments on this. Ah. One. Whenever I ask you to come up with something, instead of something stupid, you come out with really profound stuff. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah <laughs> I wouldn't say really profound. The last episode, you talked about how it bothers you, how pessimistic people are in the world and how yeah. beautiful life is. Uh. Today, it's like we're worried about the wrong thing. Like, these yeah. are very... And I'm like, tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> well, those things do well on TikTok, so tell yeah. me why. Uh, I ain't nothing. Okay, what's pissing you off? Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I, I, have, I have... Huh? Well, what's annoying you? I have um, follow-up questions. Mm. What should we be caring about in the world? Well, we shouldn't be caring about Gary Lineker being on Match of the Day or not. No. That, I can tell you. Dude, that yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. Because why is the government responding to tweets? Tell me that. Why is the government responding to tweets? You have a country to run. Mm. And for the lack of a better term, you're clapping back on social media. Yeah, but I mean, Donald <laughs> Trump set the bar there. I know. <laughs> any, any, gov- uh, you know, anyone who tweets less than him is just doing yeah. the bare minimum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, Go- but it's, it's just crazy. Everything's yeah. crazy. And part of me thinking Sunak and uh, Jeremy Hunt getting in on the whole debate yeah. was just a distraction. Maybe yeah. from the budget that came out yesterday, from something else, I don't know. It was, it was not received well, yeah, that budget. Yeah, well, I, just, I don't understand money. It just seems like they're getting getting involved in things that, mm. yeah, they shouldn't really be involved in. Okay. What, Gary Lineker took over the headlines? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what should we care about as a society? a good question i mean there's things that i think we should be caring about for society what? but that, that might be different to someone else ruler um, of the world asha what, what are we caring about here we should care about we should care about economics mm-hmm. obviously i'm gonna say that yeah. um we should care about yeah the the wider environment mm. um we seem to just care about our day to day. Oh, what am I earning? Where am I going? How are my investments doing? It's like no, but what's influencing them? The macroeconomic environment. Mm. We should be caring about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that actually influences us. That changes stuff, and people are getting away with stuff that they shouldn't be. Yeah, the big banks, the big everything. But anyway, that's a whole debate. Yeah, uh, I stumbled across. Yeah, uh, an interesting example of inflation. Uh huh. Which makes it seem like something that's going to spiral out of control. But this is a, a th- what I'm about to say is a dumb guy's perspective. Yeah. Please add a more financially literate so, person's... Yeah, uh, yeah I'm not that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try. More than me, yeah, for sure. I'll try and add my sprinkle. Okay. Um, so we were looking up... Uh, I was in a meeting and the, uh, the national minimum wage came up, right? And we got into a conversation about the national minimum wage... Mm being a decent enough number yeah right just as a number on its own as an hourly rate it's actually a an okay number mm. especially if you, you you must have had a part-time job at some point when you were yeah, younger. yeah yeah i mean you yeah. weren't getting paid anywhere near what the minimum <laughs> wage is now but that minimum wage isn't necessarily enough to sustain a normal life normal mm-hmm. right and the thing about that is the the it's not a cycle. That's the problem. It's a line. And if you trace the line back, mm. the per- so everything gets more expensive. Mm. So the, pers- uh, the, the employee needs more money. And then they go to the employer and the government makes them pay the employee more. Okay? You with me so far? Yeah. Okay? That's absolutely fine. But the problem is the employer needs to recoup more money to pay the employee. Right. And if the employer sells stuff, Usually, they'll have to increase their prices. Yeah. And sorry, it's not a line. It's a cycle. Mm-hmm. They increase their prices, which makes things un- unaffordable for the next person. Yeah. And so the next person has to go to their employer and say, hey, yeah. I need more money because I can't afford bills. And it's a never-ending cycle. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly, the, the, that employer is like, well, I can't afford to pay you more unless yeah. I charge more. So yeah. I charge more. And it's this horrible cyclical process. Yeah. 
and I think that is fundamentally why I believe that the argument of um, pay isn't rising as quick enough, quick as quick as inflation, is mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. I don't think that's the problem. That's a symptom. Right. That's a horrible, horrible symptom. Uh-huh. And I sympathize a lot with people who suffer from that symptom and have that issue. Yeah. But that's not the disease. Mm-hmm. The disease is the fact that things are getting more expensive. Yeah. And my dumb perspective is. I can't, because I don't understand the macroeconomical, um, is that what it's called? Macroeconomic environment. The macroeconomic environment. I don't know what the exit strategy is. How do we stop this horrible trajectory of people needing more money, demanding more money, and that's causing things to get more expensive? Mm -hmm. How do we fix this? Well, we stop thinking that inflation is a necessity in the world. Okay. We've you know, for years we took the fact that yes, you need a little bit of inflation. A little bit of inflation is good. Two percent. Mm. Who came up with two percent? They asked a question to Jerome Powell, the head of the uh, the Fed chair, Federal Reserve chair in America, and they said two percent. Why two percent? Mm. Like why not three percent, four percent? He couldn't give a straight answer. Right. He said that that's what other people benchmark as a good amount of inflation, yeah. and they've just stuck with it. Yeah. So we're here trying. We're at ten percent in the UK, nine, ten percent. Mm. We're here trying to get back to the two percent target. But why have we even decided or accepted that 2% is enough yeah. or right? And they think it's because it's just enough inflation that it doesn't annoy people. Mm-hmm. But it's something that allows the economy to keep easing. Yeah. The way we get out of it is to accept that inflation as a as anything above 0% is a disease. It's bad. Is a disease. Yeah. And... That is not the result of a productive economy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's productive, so we're going to get a bit of inflation. No, it's the fact we're expanding our money supply. Mm-hmm. That we should not do. Okay. Um, which we never did when we were on a gold standard. So, yeah. Okay. Now, mm. the... To- oh, yeah. Do you want to introduce the episode? Yes, I think that would be good. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, welcome to episode... I do this every time. 56. Hey, Welcome to episode 56 of season two. No, 57. No, 57. Because the episode with Hassan Kuba hasn't come out yet. Okay, I'm going to do this again. Yeah, sorry. Is it 57 or are we doing episode number oh, of season two? Oh, yeah, sorry. Two? Season two episode. Uh, I have to Three? look this up. Four? It could be four. Because we had the whole joke about it. 52 in a year. So this yeah. is five. But the, the Hassan Kuba, this is just getting messy now, but the Hassan Kuba episode doesn't fall in the series. Oh. It's just, it uses the normal number. Uh, so oh. episode, season two, episode four. And All by right. the way, if you watch the the video I made of the intros, you'll realize 52 episodes, I didn't get a single one right. So okay. hopefully that makes you feel a bit better. <laughs> well, hopefully Ram is going to be nice and edit this a little yep. bit. But anyway, we go. was it episode four? Yeah. yeah. Hey, welcome. I don't know why I'm being so... Do it. Hey, welcome to episode four of Director's Debrief, the Feel Good Podcast. Yeah. Is that what we're calling it? Um, do it. We're still getting there, yeah. but hopefully by the end of this, by the end of the year, by the end of season two, we will have an official name, but we'll yeah. see the evolutions go on. Yeah. So for now, it's the Feel Good Podcast, Inc. Something yeah. like that. Anyway, next year we'll probably change the next season. We'll probably be a different name. Yeah, no, but by the end of it, at least we would have figured out what this one was called. All right, cool. All right, yeah. (laughs) So uh, yeah, it's where we discuss all things about feeling good and what that really means. But what our advice, not advice, is to those out there who are looking to just live a better life. Yeah, live live things on their own. Lessons we've learned, essentially, whether good, bad, or you know, just things that we've picked up lately absolutely and I, really who are we to give out lessons but we're going to give it a shot anyway yeah. we're, we're just yeah. here we're not here to offer you a lesson we're here to tell you about the lessons we've learned mm. if you take anything away from that fantastic if not you know thanks for f- thanks for joining the ride whatever <laughs> we don't care about you no so what's episode four about episode four so episode three was about money mm. uh episode four is kind of a continuation of that or an expansion of that mm-hmm. where we kind of made a fair few assumptions that yeah. people know what money is people know um what investments are people know what debt is yeah um the actual topic of this conversation came from harvey our warehouse manager mm. and we said you know what's what's something you didn't know about that you wish you did um and just a couple of things that you know we've picked up along the way we sure. are i would argue this maybe tell me if i'm wrong I'd argue we're kind of privileged in some regards because of the access that we have, mm-hmm. right? We have access to just a P&L, mm-hmm. a business P&L. You, you recently revealed to me, you check it every day? 
Mm-hmm. That was cool. When you told me that, I was like, damn, this guy, yeah. not letting anything slip. But um, yeah, we, you know, we can log onto a computer and have a look at a business that's up and running, mm-hmm. that's been running for a while, look at the P&L. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, you and I have had our bank accounts for years. Yep. We have access to that information. We have had access to different things. So access to information is something we have. Yeah. So there's a few things that we might know that others might not know. Mm-hmm. I'm looking deeply at you here because I'm hoping you 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 yeah I, <laughs> you I mean got more it's, information it's a good point. Me. I mean I ha- I hate to be the guy that says how privileged we are mm. putting the business aside or so on, but just the fact we have a bank account, right? Like, right. To put it in perspective, yeah. that is of a percent of the world that has. Yeah. A uh, has a bank account. Simply has access to a bank account. Most people can't because they don't have documentation. Yeah. You know, they don't even they're not even registered as official citizens of countries. And there's so many that are unbanked in so many different countries yeah. um, that they have no idea. So at least we have the privilege to understand where our money is or how how it works. At least to a certain extent. Yeah. But I think even even us in the 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 Western world or wherever it may be. Um, we still don't understand it to the full extent. Yeah. And, and that's what we're going to unravel today. And uh, yeah, bank account. I mean, I uh, we both have business credit cards, but do you have a personal credit card? Uh, I do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've had a uh, personal credit card for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I've used it for very specific purposes throughout my time, usually mm-hmm. to build credit scores. And mm-hmm. some people might not know what a credit score is. So yeah. let's dive into that. All right. But can I? Oh, I have a question. Go ahead. What is a square? What is credit? What is a credit score? What is a credit score? A credit score is um, is a way of knowing how reliable you are at making financial repayments mm-hmm. from a line of credit. Right. So a line of credit is money you don't have, mm-hmm. a money that you're trusted with, spend however you wish, usually with some terms and conditions, and then you repay it. Right. And your credit score is how good you are at that. Okay. Okay. And that's the reason why I describe it like that is a lot of people assume that you just have a good credit score automatically. Mm-hmm. No, you start off with an average credit score. Right. Borderline average. Mm-hmm. Clean slate. But if you want to get a mortgage years down the line, if you want to t- do any sort of large lending, whether it be personal or business, um, actually you need a bit of a track record. Mm-hmm. So taking out debt can be a good thing. That's actually one of the reasons why I have a credit card. I, I buy coffees and Ubers with my credit card and okay. I pay it off immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so my credit card utilization is very low. So when you say pay it off immediately, you got like a direct debit set up with your credit card? Uh, no, I, I like to do it manually. I don't okay. know why, but yeah. I, I just log in on... Uh, just lump sum it. Yeah, yeah, I get an email saying your bill is due. Yep. You usually have a set period of time where you don't pay interest and then mm. it starts to accrue. Okay. Yeah. Um, so credit companies hate me because they don't make money off me. Yeah, right. But they make money off plenty of other people. They, I'm sure they've yeah. got their own way. So... Let's take a deep dive there into the credit card. Part. Can we take yeah. a step back before sure, that? Sure, sure. Because there was something interesting. I've recently started learning about fractional banking mm. and fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking. Yeah. And just a, a slight, we've talked about this before, but a slight history of money. Mm. Can you break that down as simply as possible? Yeah, how, how sure. money started. Basically. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I love this a little bit, but I'll try and I'll try and start really quickly and move through. Yeah. Um, so essentially, money is a means of uh, kind of information that helps us transact. That's how it all started. So we go back to the old days where you know I had cattle, you had corn, mm-hmm. and we wanted to transact, but you didn't want cattle, and I wanted corn. How would we transact? Very difficult. Yeah. So for years, humans struggled to trade effectively. And it was very inefficient because mm-hmm. it would be really difficult. And, you know, it's a no-brainer now looking backwards. But at the time, it was very difficult to find some kind of intermediary, the trusted intermediary, as it goes. There was a limitation there. We had to both have something each other desired. That exactly. Was the yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's it. And or some, yeah, exactly. Something that we could trade that showed that my cattle, mm. my eight cattle are worth Yep. one piece of corn which isn't the truth no, yeah. before back <laughs> <laughs> right yeah exactly so there needed to be something so human civilization really started to expand and um economically and and really um gain momentum when we figured out how to solve that issue which yep. is what we call money today uh it started with a variety of different things in different countries or different regions of the world i mean glass beads in Africa to um, kind of there was a, a limestone in a certain country and everyone owned a little bit of this major limestone that existed yeah. on a 
on an island yeah. and you would own your share in that and then I would carve my bit for you and so on. Right. But the limestone wouldn't move. Yeah. I believe it's limestone or some kind of stone that mm. uh, they carved into. So there was all sorts of ideas. Feathers in, in one country. I remember right. Yeah. About, yeah. So all sorts of all sorts of things that people used mm. um, quickly moved to ideas such as uh, such as precious metals um, being because one reason because they were scarce mm. you know, so they couldn't be easily replicated right. uh, which was a big thing because glass beads for example mm. um, is one of the big reasons why Europeans were able to conquer Africa because Europeans were not necessarily stronger than the Africans mm. um, at the time that they were trying to invade in but they knew how to make glass beads Wow! and they counterfeited <laughs> glass beads that the Africans <laughs> valued so much that was very hard to mimic right. because they had technology in, mm. in Europe um, and they were able to kind of, you know, get one village to turn against another so, because they had these. So glass beads went through inflation. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and through all all areas of history, we've yeah. seen examples of that. Um, precious metals were one of the more difficult ones because you simply couldn't replicate gold, um, or you couldn't replicate silver, as, and so on. So for a period of history, much later into it, you know, the gold, uh, the Romans used this, and so on. Um, they used gold uh, as, as a measure and they, they even had a gold coin that they would do. Even that went through inflation at one point where um, they would essentially like carve off little edges of the gold coin to make them uh, worth a little bit less to kind of keep keep uh, inflation into the economy. It's one of the, you know, I'm really fast tracking, but it's one of the things that they say led to the, the downfall of the Roman civilization, inflation. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a whole chapter on that. And I'm really skimming through, but essentially... Yeah. We learned to transact with um, with certain coins and certain things. The biggest thing that happened, though, is the fact that moving a lot of gold around is difficult. Yes. Uh, you know, it's okay for a gold coin, but what happens when I want to purchase uh, land and, uh, you know, uh, certain large purchases? It's Cattle. Very, it's very difficult, yeah. yeah? So along came banks. Now, banks were this great, great formation or great technology, technological advancement that essentially said, look, we'll hold your gold and we'll give you an IOU. Yeah. The IOU was the biggest technological advancement at the time because it essentially said, you don't need to move gold around. We're going to give you this mm. and it's going to allow you to transact very quickly. Yeah. Suddenly you can say, here, here's my 20, mm. 20 gold coins. So um, ultimately the goal is... With this receipt, I yep. owe you, I can go claim my gold. Exactly. But yep. instead, now, when we transact, I give you the receipt and you can go claim the gold. Exactly. Right. That's it, because yeah. now I have rights to that gold yeah. in that bank. Cool. And that's why you have different banks. So say in America, you have Bank of America and Bank mm. of Texas and so on. They uh, made banks of Texas, Bank of Texas made up. But um, essentially what it was is these banks housed differently and you would have different IOUs for right. each bank and people valued certain banks more because they were more trustworthy whereas yeah. some banks didn't um in this case I mean there was one period where they would um hold tobacco as an IOU oh. and and say oh this is this is your tobacco versus that and then you know there was all sorts of things where people diluted the tobacco and so on so yeah. you always have this issue with banks where trust comes into it yeah anyway that goes on um until as always, we realize that humans can't be trusted. We're just, we're just not trustworthy. Yeah. Um, now, there are good people. There, there are good people, plenty of good people. Um, but on the whole, as a collective, we make decisions that, where we lose trust, yeah. right? And that, that just develops into it. So we need something that allows us to be honest and trustworthy. But what happened with banking is... Banks got hold of a lot of gold in their their vaults and their deposits, mm. and they realized, hold on a second, all we have to do is put an IOU to them and them. Mm. Why can't we give out a couple more IOUs for the same gold? Mm. Because they don't really claim it. No one ever asks for their gold out of yeah, it. They just yeah. want their IOUs to move around, and we can make a little bit more money. Of course they're going to, because they're suddenly lending out more than one right. piece of gold, um, and that's called fractional reserve banking. And people say, oh, how can they get away with it? But as long as... Everyone doesn't ask for the gold at the same time in physical format, which wasn't really happening because yeah. everyone trusted the bank. They'll never get caught uh, unless there's a bank run. Interesting yeah. question. Um, if Is that the reason why you can deposit loads of money instantly, but it takes a few days to withdraw all your money? Is it because they need to scramble to... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on the individual banks. They'll blame it on you know processing time right, yeah, or so on. But I'm sure there is a part of 
the idea that they don't want people to withdraw immediately or they don't want it all in one go because yeah. at the end of the day they start putting money into you you'd assume they're just holding your money mm. you put a grand into a bank they're holding your thousand pound in a vault that's not true no they're holding your digits on a screen and they're also lending that out five times to other people yeah. uh, and that does happen it happens with every bank everyone knows that this is happening um and that is a ca- essentially where we are today and that is how fractional reserve banking came to fruition yeah um yeah uh, hey there if you made it this far, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to please subscribe, like, comment, do what you can do to keep supporting this channel uh, and where we're going. But really appreciate you paying time, paying attention and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Does, um, that, does that help? Yeah, yeah perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, um, you put a £1,000 in the bank, somebody applies for a loan and they're like, oh, well, I have this 1000 from Sam. Here, take this 1000 Make yep. sure you pay me back. Yeah. Um, and then someone else comes in for a loan mm-hmm. and they're like, huh, well, I just... Here you go. Here's ten thousand. Yeah, it's the same ten thousand. Here's sorry. Here's a thousand. It's the same thousand that I put in. Mm-hmm. It's gone to two different people. Yeah, and this happens at scale, right? So it's not just people. It's like institutions. It's yeah. pensions, and it's it's things like that. It's all designed to grow money. Yeah, um, and that recently led to a quite a, a big deal in the Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, this sort of thing has been happening all over the world for a while, yeah. um, in most major countries now. In less developed countries, when there's a bank run, the government can't really come in to, to, to bail them out. Uh, it happened in Argentina, and then the peso, Argentinian peso, devalued massively because the governments came in to bail them out. There's all this hyperinflation um, scenario. And most major countries can't get away with this. Right. Um, so you see this hyperinflation happening because they come in to step in to prevent the bank runs, or there is just a bank run. Yeah. So it's been happening in countries for years and years. Um Happened in Greece, I believe it was, um, in um, in Europe, in back in 08. Um, and again, it's been it's been happening for a little while. What happened in America is, again, I say the Western world or the world that usually buries its head in the sand, thinking they're safe from all of this turmoil. Yeah. Got a taste of what could really happen, mm-hmm. and the fact that the money they placed in their Silicon Valley bank. Remember, these are businesses just not investing, so it's not their risky stuff. It's just them putting their deposits to pay for payroll, whatever they pay for, in a bank. Just as all businesses do, just as we do, you hold some in the bank. There was a bit of a bank run on that. happened from uh, one of the major investors, Peter Thiel, trying to withdraw his money. Mm. Um, And, yeah, the whole, you know, he kind of... Apparently, there's loads of conspiracies as to why he did it, but essentially he... Once he'd withdrawn his money, he made an announcement for everyone else to withdraw their money because he said <laughs> it wasn't trusted. And over the weekend, this this happened on thurs- a Thursday, and then it led to a, over the weekend where there was no, because banks are closed on the weekend, yep. concern from all businesses as to what was going to happen. Uh, yeah, so it was a major worry. Yep. Crazy. Um, but let's move on to credit. Yeah. Let's talk about the juicy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sorry, yeah. just, just finishing off there. Oh, Essentially yeah. what happened is the government did bail them out. Ah, yes. And everyone's money is safe, but essentially what the government have said is they will always step in now, mm. and that means that the banks have no reason to act uh, act responsibly. Yeah. And they've basically been given a bailout, as they always do. And that's now a concern, that mm. banks are now going to hand on people's money even more irresponsibly mm. until it all crumbles. But, yes, credit. Yeah. Credit. <laughs> um, this, all, this, all does, uh, this all does intertwine, though, and yeah. uh, we get to that. So, Credit, keep talking. Yeah, credit essentially uh, on that side is credit's not a new thing that's happened. Uh, you know, the idea behind it was that um, you know certainly I look at businesses. Businesses may want to purchase something, uh, you know, piece of capital equipment, uh, land, or something that they need, but unfortunately they can't put all the cash up front that they need for that because it takes a while for that to be paid back. Yeah. So the idea of credit was created you know, using someone else's money, maybe a, a loan from a businessman or someone there to bring bring that into fruition on that side. Uh, so that's been going on for many, many years, hundreds, thousands of years yeah. in that respect, yeah. What does credit mean to you? What does credit mean to you? You always come out with these. Yeah, what it's really it? deep, yeah. Real deep. Uh, credit is something that has um, hurt me. It's something that saved me. It's something that uh, I see as a tool in the future 
for my future. Mm. Uh, so I need to start preparing and building uh, my credit score so I have access to these things. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you know, to me, credit is how much money that isn't yours do you have access to? Okay. And you build that by proving on a smaller scale that I can pay debt off. Like I, I gave the example of a, a small credit card. Yeah. You know, super small limit. My credit card limit is 500 pounds. I spend, um, you know, it's not a lot. It's not a small amount of money. It's just a small credit limit. Um, I've heard of people with unlimited thousands. Mine's just 500 because I don't trust myself. Mm. But yeah, that's that's what credit is to me. Okay. So let's take a look back a little bit. Um where where what do you feel is wrong with where we are with credit in the world at the moment it is being used as a tool i know you'll agree with this because i'm using your idea but putting my spin on it Mm -hmm. it is being used as a tool to purchase things for the lack of patience rather than opportunity so my example here is a opportunity is like a house Or an asset, not a liability, as uh, Robert Kiyosaki says. Mm. If you want to buy a house, it's going to take an incredibly long time to save up. Let's say an average house is Mm 250,000. Let's just say that. It'll take a really long time to save up 250,000 pounds. And to some people, it might never be feasible to save up that much whilst you're living your regular life, paying Mm. rent and things like that. So to have access to 250,000 pounds and pay it off monthly whilst you live in the house is great. It's it's a tool that you can build. But if you're if you if you're let's say it'll take you 2 or 3 months to buy something. What's something that you 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 want to own? Let's say some trainers. Some trainers. Um so they cost let's say 150 pounds. Mm. You could save 50 pounds a month for 3 months and then go out and buy these trainers. Mm. Uh but Instead, somebody is offering you the opportunity to buy it right now. Instead of fifty pounds a month, you pay fifty-five pounds a month, mm-hmm. and that's what my—that's what I think is the issue with with lending at the moment because that's fifteen pounds, arguably. So, so why spent. is that different from a house? Um, because I think it's just time spans. You know, you're only three months away from the shoes, and you're not really missing out on much in those three months, mm-hmm. unless you unless you're shoeless and broke, but. A house, let's, how long will it take to save up 250000 That might be a lifetime for some people. Mm. So you might not have the opportunity to buy it, mm-hmm. whereas a loan grants you that opportunity. Okay. Sorry, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because yeah. it's, it's interesting and we'll get into why. But So why would someone want to buy a house when they can rent? Uh, you, you might not. I've actually been uh, looking into this a lot. Mm. I've, I've mentioned on the podcast buying a property has been something that's been on my mind for a while and I've been comparing and contrasting. A house is a really... Somebody... My sister described it to me as a high interest savings account mm. because part, some of it goes towards interest but some of it goes towards actually paying off a, a loan and that money kind of goes into a bit of a reserve, so to speak, for yourself to sure. access later down the line. And properties increase in value. Mm. Uh, sorry, what was your question? No, so <laughs> I, I basically, I'm just trying to understand um, why is credit okay for one thing? Yeah. And I know you meant, mentioned time span, which is a very okay. good way to look at it. Like yeah. I hadn't thought of myself. And then shoes and the trainer's idea is yeah. not maybe something you should be. Uh, yeah. I, I can think of an outlier to every example I can think of, but yeah. the main thing I'm getting at here is you might have the income to justify the affordability, uh, to, to contemplate the affordability of a house. Mm. You can contemplate the affordability of 250000 if your monthly income meets the monthly repayments. Mm. But for something like a, a cheaper expense, a smaller scale expense like expensive trainers, fashion, tech... Things like that are essentially out of reach, but they've been made in reach. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to. I'm struggling to. Yeah, explain. I, I, I understand. I, I, yeah. I see where you're yeah. coming. Like yeah. somebody on forty thousand a year mm. can afford to buy a forty thousand pound car. Yeah, 
but like to me that math doesn't make mm. sense and I'm, I'm starting to realize maybe some of this is coming out of my own prejudices my own internal emotions and feelings and thoughts towards debt mm. I, I grew up in Sweden where debt is notoriously frowned upon sure. in a Middle Eastern household where again debt is notoriously frowned upon mm-hmm. so maybe I just have these natural dislike a natural dislike for debt unless it's completely necessary yeah I think there's a more fundamental reason. I don't want to get into this too much because, uh, but we will. <laughs> Please do. Um, because this is a feel good how to how to look at debt and so on. But we need to look at why why debt has been encouraged in the first place by society and how we've even gotten to this position. Mm. Uh, because for many generations, this wasn't just a Middle Eastern thought process. Mm. For pretty much any any culture of anywhere, debt was always seen as a thing. A negative, yeah. right? Unless correctly leveraged, such as a house and so on. But that's in certain very careful, well thought out, multi generational plans. Yeah. You know, my my kids will have this house for in three generations' time, or my kids' kids will. But the shoes I did, no, that's for me. No, I'm, I'm going to get there. And I do think this came down to an environment again, looking at the macroeconomic environment of a low interest in low interest place and right. environment where interest rates have been suppressed manually mm-hmm. by the central banks for so long and they're nowhere near the actual rate of credit we should be paying. Okay. So essentially what I'm... Is that a bad thing? Yes. Is cheap debt a bad thing and why? Well, the idea here is cheap debt was brought in to encourage consumption. Right. So it, this was brought in in 08. It's been brought in before where the idea is let's lower interest rates to encourage consumption. They say it's for business investment. Of course, business investment increases, but it encourages consumption. And there's a Keynesian, so uh, John Maynard Keynes, as Milton Keynes was named after him, he is on the thought process of consumption at all costs. Consume, consume, that's what gets the economy going. And I'm definitely not on his thought process um, that we are in a period where we're over-consuming on things we don't need mm. and this isn't genuine economic productivity. So what's happened is, say I'm going to buy a sofa, right? Mm. Some people say sofa's necessary. I go into the store and I'm told that I can either pay £1,000 a day for the sofa set, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or I can pay this 0% interest-free mm. over the next two years. <coughs> when I know my inflation inflation is going up why would i want to put my money up front when i could be paying this over the next two years you know i'm actually doing myself a disservice yeah if i was actually paying the correct interest rate that should be going on in the uh, environment which is they say around well it should be around interest inflation rate so about 10 percent yeah do i want to pay 10 percent year on year on that on that thousand pound that i put initially up front no i don't no so what we're essentially seeing here is we're seeing a very disjointed world Mm. where credit isn't actually the way it should be operating Mm. um oh so credit wow so interest being in line with inflation yeah would mean your one thousand pound that you're spending today Mm -hmm. in a year's time once you've finished paying off the loan yeah you've parted ways with the same amount of money value wise Mm -hmm. not numerically but value wise as you would have done a year ago exactly However, what's happened here is if you take 0% interest, you've done the business a disservice almost. Yeah. Because they're getting a thousand of your hard-earned pounds, yep. but they're worth less than what they would have done if you'd have paid it up front. Exactly, yeah. Ah, I see a huge disconnection yeah. there now. And that's that's the difficulty. So whilst I'm so against debt mm. and credit and this idea of it, yeah. when I go to purchase a sofa... I'm doing myself a disservice by not taking the 0% over two yeah. years thing. And that's that's the difficult part for me because whilst I really do hate that idea, yeah. we're being encouraged so much that I'm genuinely losing out on value yeah. that we're, we're going that way. And I think just to, obviously we've digressed slightly there, but essentially the world has put us in that position where we're being encouraged so much to buy Things we don't need. Maybe I didn't need to spend a thousand pound on a sofa, but I did because I could spread it over two years. Yeah. Maybe I just needed the three hundred pound sofa, um, and that's really where we are at the moment uh, in in that sense. So yeah, that's Ooh. that's essentially where we are at the moment, yeah. um, and we we're in a point where yes, the previous generations hated debt. 
But even then, I see my dad now contemplating, well, it's a bit of a no-brainer to go for 0%. And he would never, in his wildest dreams, have ever contemplated it. He never wants to put himself anywhere near debt or anything like that. It's just something that is so taboo. But it actually becomes poor business sense or poor personal finance sense when you're not looking at these kinds of those ideas. And yeah, essentially, it's encouraging, because of that, a world where we just rely on debt. Oh, why pay now when I could pay later? And we're continuously consuming and continuously creating more debt. Some will pay it back. A lot won't. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, a house of cards waiting to fall. fall. Yeah. And the the education around all of this is very bad. I would just say that up front around finances, uh, economics in general. Mm. Like I said, fractional reserve banking, I think I learned about two weeks ago. I think... I, I only really even learned that how money worked, how it was attached to gold and how it was an IOU. Mm. I only learned that like two years ago. I came up to you mm. and went, Ash, is this real? Is mm. this what happens? Yeah. I don't think I'm alone in that. Mm. Um, oh, honestly, I, I learned this, you know, about two or three years ago as well. Yeah. I was unaware. You you almost, you'll ask a few people, you could go on the street and say, you know, do you think money's backed? Do you think the pound is backed? Yeah, it's backed by, by silver or something. No. Not that in, stopped no. many years ago. Yeah. yeah, and the other crazy thing is uh, when we're talking about "Don't Pay UK," which is this campaign that you know people feel like they've got nothing left to lose anymore. But it's always a tool in the government's arsenal where they're like, "We're just not going to pay." And like, well, it will ruin your credit score. Yep. And people are like, "Well, that doesn't matter to me anymore." It will, mm. like years down the line. Hopefully, you know, financial ruts don't last forever for people. Yeah. Hopefully, people come out of this, and when they do. They should have the opportunity to build on top of that, like purchase mm. a house like that. Um, and so I think it is quite short-term thinking of like, oh, it doesn't even matter anymore. Credit yeah. score doesn't even matter. Yeah, um, You're definitely right. The education piece is, is a massive black yeah. blind spot at the moment. Um, and with that, I think what people need to also realize, so, you know, we're speaking to Harvey and one of his questions was, how do I leverage my money better, right. my credit better? How do I maximize my investment? And I think people get into the right, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe blame this on TikTok of the TikTok idea of, yeah, leverage your credit, you know, go hard on stocks and shares and leverage that five times or um, buy investments and leverage your own personal credit. They make it look all too easy. Yeah. And they put a lot of people's genuine, you know, good personal credit on the line. There's a difference. And I think people generally, unless you're fully financially educated on that, you really do need to be careful on leveraging your personal finance to such such an extent but that's just a a side thought yeah yeah i mean there is this also this feeling and i'm going to explain a real version and i'm going to explain how this is this feeling is being simulated in finances there's a huge scandal in uh motorsport uh esports at the moment right of people pushing the boundaries of um like the racetrack Mm -hmm. because you can gain advantage if you go off the track a little bit here and one of the justifications from the competitors for doing this was, look, if I don't do it, the other 19 competitors will do it and they'll win. And I'm just at the back there playing legit and I'm losing. Mm. Like I'm just playing it safe, but I'll just lose. So what's the point in that? So I might as well push the boundaries myself. Right. And I think that's the real issue. That's a real issue. A simulation of seeing all these TikToks is you start to feel like saving money is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And you think that actually I'm pay- I'm being safe by saving my money, and everyone around me is investing. You get this feeling. I know so many people who talk about investments but don't actually invest. Right. And you get you get this FOMO almost of investment of like I should be doing this, I should be doing that. When in reality, you know, you're a couple grand in debt or something. Mm. Like you're trying to f- trying to dig yourself out of a hole whilst trying to build a competitive advantage. Right. But you see all of these TikTokers like, oh, I invested 10,000 in the S&P 500, yada, yada. And you almost want to jump from there straight to Almost, the yeah. yeah. But like, how do you, that's not. Yeah. Really so what's possible. your advice to maybe those people in a couple of grand of debt? Yeah. It's obviously not follow the TikTok, TikTokers. No, no. I mean, a lot of people that I've sort of followed, this is a really good question. Where can you get access to good information and, and resources? I followed a few people um, and I've learned a lot from a few people. Ramit Sethi, who, whose name I forgot on the podcast, uh, I will teach you to be rich. Mm-hmm. I love his concept of 
focus on the big easy wins and then move on to the smaller ones so he uses an example of you're trying to dig yourself out of a financial rut by yeah. saving on lattes that's not going to happen mm. but in actual fact a couple phone calls you can get a bill waived or you can get something reduced i love that concept yeah. when that happened i looked at the finance on my car uh, i'd taken out a loan to buy my car and i was thinking if i save on you know three coffees a week i would get you know what would you make back a hundred pounds whatever right but actually, I realized I was making a bit more money. So I called up the, my loan provider and I said, if I shorten my uh, my loan from, I think, like from 18 months left, if I shortened it to 12 months left, how much interest would I save? And they said like 300 pounds. Hmm. I was like, boom, I've saved 300 pounds. Yeah, so 100 like, lattes. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's 100 <laughs> lattes. Yeah. That's a third of the year if you buy a latte every day. Yeah. You can, for, for a third of the year, you can buy a latte every single day if you make one phone call. Um, so focus on big, easy wins. Mm. Everything in this world is negotiable. I found out my bank Santander were charging me eighty pounds a month in uh, overdraft fees. Okay, but I thought I had an overdraft-free account. Mm. Uh, and what had happened is I'd graduated uni, and they just changed my account from a graduate uh, from a, a student account to a normal one. Eighty pound a month fees. Unbelievable. I called them and I was like, guys, and it doesn't come up on your statement. It doesn't come up on your transactions. Right. It's on the front page. And I don't check that. I just check the mm. app. So I was like, I have no idea. You guys don't put this in the transaction minus whatever. They do now, maybe because I complained. Okay. But they didn't do that before. Mm. And uh, and they said, oh, we're really sorry about that. We thought you were aware. Um, we're going to refund you the past four months. Please don't do it again. It's like, it's 300 pounds in my account. Like that. So read Ramasetti's I'll Teach You to Be Rich. Mm. Um, and then... Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad is a mm -hmm. good idea, is a good resource. Uh, but like last episode, the best way to get out of debt is to put money in a place where you can't touch it. Okay. And that can be as small or as big as you like. And remember, no one's coming to save you. If you don't start getting out of debt now, in a year's time, you're going to be in exactly the same amount of debt, if not more. Mm. But if you say fifty pounds a month at the end of the the year, you have six hundred pounds, and you're like, oh, what if your debt is like six thousand pounds? You're like, oh, I barely made a dent. Yeah, what is that? Ten percent? I haven't done anything. Well, yeah, but you're ten percent further along than you were at the start of the year. Right. Next year you'll be twenty percent. The mm -hmm. year after that you'll be thirty. And these are small steps. And yes, it seems impossible. But if you just ignore it, then you're in the same position. But no, now you're you're actually making headway. It's a brilliant way of looking mm. at it. Yeah. It's too... I've spoken to so many people who have made poor financial decisions because I, I did that and I was looking around for advice mm. who kind of very much like me, excuse me, very much like me just expected the situation to resolve itself. Yeah. And I think that's a very that easy a, mentality. Is that like a handout or a just Anything. a magic Good. wand? Yeah. Just go to sleep and forget about it. Mm. You know, bury your head in the sand as, yeah. as you said. And, um, you know, because sometimes you get like a bonus at work, mm. right? Say you're five grand in debt, you get a 1,000 pound bonus and you're like, all right, that's good, yeah. yeah. And then you spend the 1,000 pounds. Mm. You're like, oh, there'll be another handout or there'll be another bonus or there'll be yeah. another thing. And they rarely come, to be honest. Like they do come, but you don't actually use it. Yeah. Nobody likes the feeling of 1,000 pounds in their bank account and then not having it. Right. But they forget that they've spent that money already. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. But feel good series and whatnot. Let's talk mm. about good debt. Yeah. How do you leverage good debt? Yeah, how how? <sighs> Teach me please. If you've made it this far and you've ignored Ash's request to subscribe, please don't ignore this one. Please subscribe. It really helps the channel out um, and it helps us grow and hopefully gives us more information to pass on to you. Thanks. Honestly, this I'll I'll, I'll be there. This is something I'm still trying to figure out myself. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I would not come on here saying I'm some pro at leveraging good debt. I, I struggle to to find many options of good debt. Yeah. Um, Have you seen somebody utilize debt well in the past, and you thought that's smart? Yeah. So I mean, even the so for example we made earlier, right? Mm. Leveraging debt is leveraging the system at the moment. It's not leveraging maybe debt in the future when things stop being the way they are. Yeah. But at the moment, we have very low interest rates or fairly low, respectively. And there's a difference. There's a, a difference between what your investments may be producing and what the current borrowing rates are and so on. And it's kind of trying to find that arbitrage a little bit and uh, figuring that out from there. 
Um, so the SOFA example, why should I put my hard-earned cash here mm-hmm. when I can have 0% over the next few years? I could make that £1,000 and put it into an easy access savings account where it's going to be 2%. Yeah. Boom. Easy way of leveraging debt. It doesn't have to be some crazy um, master plan of investing all your capital into a a commercial property or something like that it could just be some simple decisions that you're making i mean car financing uh some people again will say oh, you know i don't agree with car financing or pcp take a look at it you know if you're if you do your hard work and you don't go for the first pcp thing that mercedes-benz or bmw offer you yeah. and you look at maybe the idea of a supermarket car loan or something like this yeah. it's looking at the fact that okay a pcp's whatever percent um a car loan is maybe four or five percent maybe in this environment might be a bit different um i could get x return on my investment so rather than putting my 30k into a car i'm going to do it through a car loan and i'm going to invest my money into a property or into um an investment fund or something like that looking at different investment opportunities that's the idea it's looking at the opportunity cost of your money and saying okay maybe i don't need to plow this into here i'm going to put it somewhere else and make it work for me and it could be on a micro scale or a smaller scale the sofa mm. all the way through that's kind of my thought process what's your what i you just see? remember one time i worked as maybe i'm not even i'm going to leave all personal details obviously out of this so i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but let's find out uh-huh. I worked at um, a finance company we had to review some applications for loans and we had to overlook somebody's uh, property holdings Mm. and they had six properties and all of them were on interest only loans, which to Mm. me made no sense, right? You want to be paying the principal, the house stuff. Um, But all of these houses were rented out and the mortgage came out to about 300 pounds a month, just interest only. And the rental income he was getting out of each one was 800 pounds. Right times that across six it's a very healthy income stream Mm -hmm. i don't really know what happens at the end of the mortgage i I guess he sells the house and he makes none of the principal obviously yeah um the banks made their money um but i just thought that was like a smart way of leveraging debt Mm -hmm. and he must have had some sort of way of building that credit score in order to convince a bank to lend him six times whatever yeah um you must have had some sort of securities or something like that uh, but that was just a smart interest thing only is very is uh, was a very popular thing in the last 10 years mm. because of the low interest environment um yeah. so you could actually make that difference uh, and also the fact that there was an expectation properties would go up in price right because you have to expect them to go up in price um if properties don't which mm. can happen i mean we're in a market now that's a bit funny um if you're continuously just paying off the interest and you buy a £200,000 property mm. and your mortgage, you pay a down payment of 40 k um, say you're just paying off the interest, that means in a few years, if that property is worth 180000 yeah. you've you know, you've still got to fork out and pay, pay that initial £200,000 back. Mm. And if you're selling the property at 180000 that means you have to recoup or find the extra yeah. 20000 from somewhere. Hole. So it's it's fine. Uh, we've I've, I've looked looked at it and so on. But again, it's just being smart and understanding the risks behind certain things like that. Yeah. And there's you always have the expectation things will go one way until they don't. Yeah. Uh, like no one expected interest rates to rise so dramatically until they did. Yeah. Uh, until, yeah. Assuming somebody has you know doesn't have a lot of debt, is in a relatively secure and stable financial t- uh, position, and they're contemplating buying a house. Mm. This is something that I actually, I have no experience of actually buying property, but I have some experience of building myself to up to. So this is a few things that I've learned in the past few years that might help somebody. Uh, one, registering on the electoral roll is really, really useful. Mm-hmm. It jacks up your score really, really quickly. Okay. Having a series of small loans does, not loans, but like uh, a credit card. Uh, again, don't trust yourself with it. Just make loads of small purchases like a coffee or yeah. Ubers and then pay them off immediately. Keep on top of it. Okay. Overdraft means nothing. Mm-hmm. Overdraft does not impact your credit score whatsoever, right. um, which is a good and bad thing because people might go into the overdraft thinking there's no consequences for these actions. Yeah. They still expect that money back. Mm-hmm. Rude of them, but they do. <laughs> um, and uh, staying with the same bank and in the same property. Mm. If you move a lot, you're deemed unstable. Okay. And if you stay with the same bank, again, you're, you're deemed sort of reliable and stable. And the best tool I've, I've found for this is ClearScore. I don't know if you have a ClearScore mm-hmm. account. Yeah. I, I had it when they first launched because I just wanted to know my credit score. Actually, I did it to check my score 
to because I was about to make a bad financial decision. I, oh, wanted, really? I wanted to get a MacBook on finance. Yeah. Ah, okay. So I decided to check my score before I applied, mm-hmm. and uh, I've just had an account ever since. I didn't in the end, but yeah. I, I, I checked. Is my, that an account you have to pay for? No, it's free. Oh right, okay, ClearScore great. is incredible. Yeah. It's free. I know Equifax and, and those other yeah, two. Experian Exper- so on. Yeah, you yeah. have to pay for those. ClearScore is great because it gives you your credit score. There's a difference. Sorry, there's a difference between your credit rating and your credit score. Right. One is official and one's an indication. Okay. I can't remember which is which. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your credit score. I think your credit score is what the government and lenders use. Okay. It's official. Rec- it's an official record. Your credit rating, it gives you an inclination. It's mm. like you have. If you have a good rating, you, chances are you have a good score. Uh, and the reason for that as well is don't. The the last bit of advice I have is don't apply to loads of debt. Applying to debt has just uh, has quite significant consequences. Sure. If you do what's called a hard search, like I want to find out if I can afford this BMW. If you go through the full credit application then they log that you've done a hard search. That's why you see on some applications it's a soft search or a hard search. Soft Mm. search is fine. Do as many of them as you like. But a hard search, it deeply impacts. If you do two or three in the span of a couple of months, you see a huge dip. Yeah, Yeah. because they're like, oh, this guy's credit hungry. Mm. Um, Or it may show that other people are looking looking through your credit score, but they're Mm. not lending to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In that respect. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Do you mind talking about the process of buying a house? Yeah, sure. sure. Um, this is something that seems wildly out of, uh, like the inf- access to information on this seems wildly out of reach. So can I just ask mm-hmm. you some questions that I had? Yeah, yeah. Um, where does that process start? Let's say you've saved up, what's a good amount? 10% of a deposit? Yeah, I long? mean, um, you can go anywhere from, from I believe, 5% all mm-hmm. the way to 25%. Right. I mean, people may go more, but that's mm-hmm. usually the, the batting average. Obviously, your um, repayments and your interest rate will vary on the amount you're willing to put up front. Of course. Um, because that increases the bank's risk. If you're only putting 5% up front, then the banks will suddenly look at that and say, okay, this person's not that uh, incentivized or in, into the property to it. <laughs> yeah. But on the same token, then you have to part away with more cash, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, something you need to think about. Um, and really, what is the rate indifference? You know, it's good to figure that out so where i would start and always start is get yourself a good mortgage broker or get someone like that i know there's plenty of websites and things like that but get some good advice professional advice uh plenty of banks want you to go to them Mm -hmm. for the mortgage so if you bank with santander for example Mm -hmm. they will want you to go to them and sometimes there there is an advantage to that i've heard yeah but i've actually heard that sometimes going to a different bank or a broker can get you a better deal yeah i think Sometimes everyone's in their own position. Everyone's earning differently. Everyone has their own assets or whatever they have, how much they're willing to put up front and so on. So going to a broker just gives you a bit more idea of what's going on in the market Mm. and what's available. Now, you may say, ah, I didn't know you could put less than 10% down. Mm. And then a mortgage broker may say, ah, yeah, I mean, you'll pay a percent more in your mortgage, Mm. but these are the bond benefits and so on. And it's good to get that. And I think going to just one bank limits you there's no hard harm in going to that taking that meeting with your local if you know if you bank with santander take a meeting with santander as well yeah. why not get as many uh, get as much information as you can yeah. but go to some advisors and go to someone who's been recommended right. uh, don't just google the first mortgage advisor because there are some naff ones out there and there's some amazing ones out there okay. um and yeah that's that's really crucial so you go to them mm-hmm. have a chat in the meantime, already have your idea on a few potential properties that are in mind so that you can go to them and say, can I afford this or can I not? Mm-hmm. You know, treat them as your a bit of a uh, personal finance manager where they say, no, this is a bit out of your reach or right. it's going to cost you X amount. Yeah. Um, so have a, have a bit of a variety uh, or at least have an idea of what you would like to borrow. Okay. So I'd like to borrow 200K, um, for example, or whatever it is and get that idea in mind. So then what happens next? You have 20 grand for the 200K house. You mm-hmm. think 10%, the mortgage broker tells you t- 10% is a good amount. Yeah. Um, what happens next? You get a mortgage in principle or do you start viewing some properties? What comes first? Uh, so I would always recommend to view some properties first. Okay. Um, just as an initial initial thing. Uh, you can get your mortgage in principle there, but the issue there is it has a bit of a time to it. Mm. And if you haven't started looking at some properties that might be of interest... Yeah. It's a bit of a concern, yeah. How certain is a mortgage? For people who don't, a mortgage in principle is just a document that says, 
this person can get this much money. Yeah. Is that certain? Is that like this mortgage in principle is like this person can definitely have 200K if they need it? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Uh, I can find that out, okay. uh, but I don't want to give the wrong information there. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, it's what the, say you're buying a new build, it's what the developers would want to see mm. to get you to the next stage to put a reservation fee and so on down. Cool. Um, so it's good to have a bit of both going on. Mm. But I'd really just recommend having a look at some properties, especially in this market at the moment. It's not a, it, you know, it's a buyer's market. Yeah. Uh, so you have time on your side. You know, you are you are a rarity. Whereas um, buying a couple of years ago, back in 2021, 2020, you didn't have time. I heard uh, that realtors weren't even showing people properties unless they could present a mortgage in principle. Right. That's yeah. how uh, Think, so many people wanted to buy. Exactly. And they wanted, they didn't want to waste their time. You yeah. know, they were, they were minting money. They're not now. Mm. Uh, yeah. So you have time is on your side yeah. and there's a lot of room for negotiation. Mm. So you want to take time to look at all of that negotiate again they might ask for a mortgage in principle for no, before negotiation mm-hmm. you can set you can give them something or, or have someone on the side ready to go um but i'd certainly say have a look at what what you're interested in first mm-hmm. uh, and go from there then um yeah go through your mortgage advisor have a look at the rates that are going on at the moment mm-hmm. uh because yeah things are a little bit higher but they're not too high they're not crazy um so it's, it's still within reach and it's still good and then uh, and work from there. And then it's uh, really about putting your reservation down uh, or depending on what kind of property it is and getting your solicitors involved uh, is the next step. I think by then you'll have access to the information. That's the, uh, that's the first part is always so hard mm. because people don't know where to start. And then some people get the inclination that they should start by saving some money. Right. So then they start saving some money and then they're like, well, what do I do with this money? Mm. So I think what, what you've offered has been really valuable because it will get people to speak to a mortgage broker, find a mortgage in principle, start viewing some properties. By then you're in the atmosphere, mm. right? You're in the environment. Yeah. And you're, you know, when wheels are moving, it's a lot easier to gain momentum. You're speaking to a mortgage broker. So if you're like, well, I don't know what happens next. We can speak to your mortgage broker or yeah. your, your real estate agent yeah. or whatever. So I'm always, just get professional advice. Yeah. It costs a little bit. Yes, you'll pay a little bit for a better solicitor. Yeah. It makes sense because things are done properly by the book. You know, you'll always think, oh, maybe I can save a couple hundred pound if I don't use that and all that. Yeah, I'm not saying use every bit of professional advice out there, but bring in the pros when you need them. Yeah. Um, because stay in your lane, they stay in theirs uh, is the kind of thing. And also don't hesitate, like don't don't be lazy with you, your research. Mm. Uh, that's on properties, that's on information. You know, sometimes it can be like, oh, I just can't be bothered. It could save you money, mm. serious money. Well, here's the thing. The one thing I uh, that has been drilled into me recently is this is a usually around a twenty five year commitment, mm. which means any anything that is any monthly increase in cost times it by twelve, then times it by twenty five, then yeah. you have a true picture of what it's costing. Wow, yeah, right, because that's the, that's what blows my mind. If you go for a car loan and you're comparing two cars and like you like the car, but the finance there is like one percent more expensive. Yeah. That's not good, but ultimately, if you're bu- if you get in a car that you desire more, by the end of it, you will have paid three hundred pounds more, maybe on your mm. finance, four hundred pounds. If it's a house, then suddenly you're talking five thousand pounds, ten thousand yeah. pounds, because again, you're paying this on a monthly basis. Ten pounds a month mm. suddenly becomes twelve hundred pounds a year. Yeah. Suddenly becomes twenty five grand. Well, I rounded. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, but absolutely, yeah. that's exactly it. So yeah, it's definitely. Um, Definitely something to think about, but it's an exciting part of time as well mm. for those that are looking for properties and and so on. And it's important to do that. Just some tips on outside of the credit side of things. Yeah. Um, don't fall in love with a property. Okay. Is my bit of advice because when you do, it makes negotiating really really hard. I mean, you should, I'm sure you've all heard it when you're buying a car or anything like that. Don't fall in love with it. Yeah. It really means a lot when you're in a property. Like almost feel to yourself like yeah. you don't need it. Yeah, it needs yeah. you. Um, <laughs> nice. And negotiate hard, yeah. Because I, you know, if I obviously purchased a property a couple of years ago, uh, no, it was a couple of years ago, last year. No. Um, it's like, is that yeah. is it that quick? <laughs> Feels that long. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a buyer's market. Now is, yeah. and that's one thing I would really, really go hard for. I mean, even in the non buyers market, we managed to do very well mm. in getting some some good money off. Mm. I know you could do a lot more in this market, so. Mm negotiate hard bring your skills mm. do your research on comparative properties that you can bring to the table to them and say this is what i'm being offered elsewhere mm. 
you could save a lot thousands thousands and thousands yeah so well, that's where i'd go but, uh, uh, i think we should end the episode but i just want to end something on that note uh, where you said, you know, do your research and bring other opportunities, you know, with you and say, well, actually your house, is, I'm assuming this is what you mean. Like this house is 200K. This is a similar spec house for 180, whatever, mm. like leverage that to yep. try and get that. Yeah. Uh, when I was 15, my dad was selling his car. It was a Toyota Corolla. Mm. So, probably a Corolla or something like that. That doesn't matter. And somebody had come to see the car. And my dad doesn't speak English, so I'll help him when he sells the car. Yeah. And usually... He likes to like let me loose a little, like mm-hmm. you negotiate that what what the the final price is. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was I was young and I was really young looking at the time. Puberty hit me like a train across a week. I grew a beard and six foot, but right. you, you like I, I looked like a kid back then. So the guys knew that they were negotiating with me, but they're negotiating with a kid. But he pulled out this Auto Trader ad for a very similarly spec'd car. Mm-hmm. And I was too young to know that this is quite a cheeky thing to say. But he said to me, um, he was like, but look, this one is, is is this price. So surely you can sell me this car for that price. And I said, no, go buy that one if you want to pay that much. <laughs> <laughs> I told him to go buy that car. And he goes, no, I'm here already and stuff like that. We negotiated back and forth for ages. And at the last minute, he, he shortchanged us. He gave us 50 pounds less. And I was like, you're missing 50 pounds. And he went, well, yeah, but I need it for fuel. And I was just like, yeah, but it's your car now. You got to pay for fuel. Give me mm. my 50 pounds. And he looked at my dad and he goes, you've trained him well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think having a, uh, don't bring a slip. I don't know if houses are different, but don't bring a piece of paper that says this house is that. Because they might say to you, just go buy that one. Mm. But maybe bring an idea of, I have an idea. I think that the market is worth this much because I've seen other properties at this price. Would you say yeah. that's, that's, that makes sense? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any harm in giving a direct comparison because okay. sometimes, uh, yeah, they may say go buy that one, but they won't as well. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, most cases they won't because yeah. unless it's drastically off or yeah. they genuinely think their build quality is better or whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, if you bring, bring a, if as long as you're fair and you bring a comparative property to market, mm-hmm. yes, they may try and fob you off with a bit of build quality and so on. But it shows you have actually done your research and you're right. not just trying to get a cheeky discount. And yeah. Yeah. And you, you're letting them know, by the way, don't pull wool over yeah, my Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Whereas there will be people saying, oh, I think in this market around here, there's properties that are at about £20,000 less. Mm. You're just trying to have one on and yeah. you've got no intention of looking elsewhere. Whereas what you've done is you've shown, actually, I'm looking elsewhere. Yeah. But you give them a little bit of positive saying, I appreciate your build quality is there. So I know you're probably not going to be at this point, mm. but the difference is too much. And I feel like this is much overvalued. Yeah. Conversations like that. There's no harm. And yeah, I, I I wouldn't be afraid to show you've done your research. Yeah. That's, cool. That's good. Yeah. I just want to end off on a couple of good resources I found when it comes to money. I'm curious if you have any. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert yeah. Kiyosaki. Can I just ask you on that? What's yeah. It's been... Eight years since I've read that book. About what, the same for me. What, what do you remember about it that stuck with you? Um, a couple things. One, buy assets, not liabilities. Assets are things that make you money. Liabilities are things that cost you money. Okay. Uh, so, And a house is a really good example of that. A house that you buy to rent out is an asset. A mm. house that you buy to live in is a liability. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Some liabilities are okay in that regard. Um, liabilities are funded by assets. Because right. people want liabilities. A liability is like a, a fancy car. Yeah. But um, he talks about his wife wanting to buy a Porsche. Mm-hmm. So the Porsche was like a hundred grand and she bought um, like a flat for about a hundred grand. So she spent her cash on that. And then the monthly repayments from that flat pay the monthly repayments on the car. Right. So the asset pays for the liability. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's what I, I think. And uh, the other thing is like, the, the one lesson, if there's one lesson you take away from that book is a job is a very temporary solution to a very permanent problem. He says that in the book and that stayed with a me. A job is a very temporary solution to a very permanent problem. Interesting. The permanent problem is you'll always need money. Mm. Uh, but a job, you only you can only do for as long as your body or mind is willing and able. That's so interesting. <clears throat> yeah. And I think a lot of people are talking about multiple streams of income, mm. side hustles, things like that. Um and I, I understand that, but I think what he's more getting at is um, if you make three grand a month today, whatever, if your take home is three grand a month today, don't assume that that goes on forever. Don't assume that mm. you, you get that until you die. You don't. You get that as long as you can do the job. So make sure you do what you can with that. Coming yeah. yeah. 
whether that's old school build a pension so that you can mm. live off a pension, whether that's invest in enough assets to pay you off, whatever it is, just remember a job is a very temporary solution to a permanent problem. It's a very good temporary solution. It's really effective. Yeah. Just don't make the assumption that it's going to be there when you're no longer physically able to work. I think that's the default setting. Um, Fantastic. So that's what I took away from that book. I'll Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi is a really good one. Um, Ali Abdal, follow Ali Abdal on YouTube for the love mm -hmm. of God. And I love this guy because he is so open about his finances. At the end of every year, he does a annual summary of all of his money, uh, what he what he took in, what he took out. He did one on LinkedIn on, on his business and right. I shared it with you. Mm. Um, and he, he's... I think some people will definitely take that the wrong way because he did one after the pandemic and he he, he always, always puts a prerequisite like uh, or like a, a section in the beginning. Like, guys, I know that this seems like I'm flexing. I understand yeah. that some people went through hardships and I'm about to tell you about the millions that I've made this year. I understand that that's, that's what it might come across as. Mm. But he also says like, I also understand what it's like to grow up without understanding what healthy cash flow looks like. Mm. I've never seen what good money management looks like so now that i have access to it i'm sharing it and i admire that so much i really do because yeah. you know similar situation i i grew up i didn't realize what good money allocation was i didn't realize what to do with the money coming in or how much how much money coming in is good mm. what is a good salary i don't really right. know yeah um and the fact that he's just so open with it he, he's a big fan of Bitcoin too. Mm. <laughs> uh, but he's he's just really open about mm. it. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think everybody has to be, but we should definitely, you know, be really grateful for those who are. So Ali Abdal's really good in that regard too. Fantastic. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Any, 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 any final thoughts? No, anything, any good resources from you? I know you use Twitter a lot to learn about like the finance world, but not necessarily like money lessons. Where would you say? Yeah, I mean... For? If hey, this is going to sound anywhere and everywhere, Go yeah. Google, Google, Google everything. The yeah, it's out, out there. there. I think it's just whether you're willing to put them put in the work to find it because yeah. all the information is out there. Anything you know, if you want to talk about mortgages, if you want to talk about cash flow, yeah. there's the first ten articles on on Google or the first ten blog posts are perfect. Yeah. Uh, just get in there and actually just put in the work to figure it out. Um, because otherwise, you'll be in that continuous rut of just thinking, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you don't know, somebody does, and you have access yeah. to that person. And there's to the so internet. many good, easy how-to-do YouTube videos yeah. that just explain everything super yeah. easy. So yeah, that'd be where I'd leave it. Solid. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for watching. Tune in next time. Yeah. Cheers.